to prepare for these Drumming in the world could be deemed erased Everybody's circling his poultries Negative, nepotist Everybody's waiting for the fallen man Everybody's praying for the end of times Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was born for this Whip, whip, run me like a racehorse Pull me like a ripcord Break me down up. I wanna be the slip, slip, word up on your lip, lip, letter that you rip, rip, break me down and build me up. Whatever it takes, cause I love the adrenaline in my face, I do whatever it takes, cause I love how it feels when I break the chains, whatever it takes, yeah, I take my time, I'm ready for whatever it takes. Welcome everyone to the Tori Says Show. Today is the 10th of October, 2021. This year has gone by fast, so, so swift. There is so much going on today. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. How do you start? How do you start talking about what is happening and what isn't? I think, you know, what we've realized these past, you know, and I don't, and I don't make it easy. I guess it's because I, I, when I, when I believe that evil should be pointed out, injustices should be pointed out, and those that I know are to blame should be pointed out, I, 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 I don't make it easy. And so it, weeks ago, I got a ton of messages from people close to me saying, you know, I don't think it's good that someone's running a GoFundMe, you know, to get your kid a car. And I said, you know, I, she can't get one now. Uh, I can't get her driver's license yet um, because I want to do something first before I can. And uh, yeah, she needs a car. But, you know, and I know that the person that ran it had someone that was donating a car. And I know how much he cares for me because people that are very close to me know exactly what I go through. And I do not blame them for wanting to help me and, and, and have embraced my family. But the, the concerns that everybody had was, oh my gosh, they're going to start talking and talking. And I said, you know what? Since I didn't have this discussion with the person that ran it. And since I never asked for it, never claimed the need for it, I mean, everybody knows that when your kid turns 16, needing a car, but I never made an explicit, hey, you know, I was like, you know what, when things like that happen spontaneously, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. God put that idea into that person, uh, put it out there and made it happen. But Tori, it's okay. It's going to show you exactly what their problem is. Because you know what, what if, what if there's been people in the feeds that are, that give their stories of what they want and how, you know, they're in harm's way and, you know, and I read it and I look into it and if it's legit, I have 20 bucks, I'm going to donate. Someone's like, Hey, I need this and I can't make ends meet. I look, I'll donate. I've got a dollar, $5, $10, $20. I'll give it. That's what happens. But here's the thing. I knew that everyone that contacted me was saying it because they don't want me to get maimed. 
And I said, those that will maim me will be not the left, not the crazies. It'll be exactly who it needs to be. And, you know, one of my moderators was like, you're nuts. Another one of my friends who were like, just no, leave it. And then you see where their problem is. See, it's not, it's where their problem is with me. See, they did everything right. They hijacked things. They proclaimed themselves the all-knowing, right? All-knowing. But one thing is, it's not the critic that matters. Does it matter if a loser criticizes what I do or what you do? No. And it's not the critic that turns around and says how someone so strong has fallen on their face. It is not that person that is important. Or where someone's going to sit there and opine, well, I could have done that better. I'm so stupid. Well, did you try? You see, anything that is accomplished doesn't belong to anyone but the people that are in the ring, that are fighting, feet planted in the Olympiad, in the arena fighting. The people that have blood, sweat, tears, they've eaten shit like crazy, trying to fight. Who is diligent? Who is valiant? Who makes mistakes? And doesn't matter. They'll fail again and again and again. Because you never win and you never succeed without failing or coming short, as they say. But the person that actually steps into the ring starts pulling the punches and actually takes steps to get things done is a person that's dedicated, that knows themselves to what their cause, what their goal, and what they strive for. They know. And that person is the one in the end that gets the brass ring that achieves it. Right? Because you try, you should achieve. But if the worst, if the worst comes to worse, you fail. But at least you failed. Daring, jumping into the abyss. So when that person falls, it's not going to be side by side with those that didn't know what defeat meant. Or what victory, but simply stood on the sidelines. So when someone comes at you and yips, yips, yips. Oh, let me tell you. No, let me tell you. (laughs) All you have to say is, what have you done? Why do you judge when you have done nothing? I'll tell you a story. (laughs) I'm going to say it like a story. Just so that you understand. So me and my friends are having a conversation and we're conversing on a very specific platform. 
And so we needed someone front-facing to command it all, but that front-facing person should know nothing. Let's pretend that front person name is Ronald McDonald. So Ronald McDonald is the one that's in charge of ensuring that our messages go back and forth. One that takes command or lead or we ask questions to. Because this is the person that can be seen. Because let's just pretend uh, he speaks Russian. Everybody can see him, but nobody else can. So, you know, we're just saying. (laughs) So then, you know, one day, Ronald McDonald says, hey, I received your text. And it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean you received my text? I will not communicate with you outside of this platform. Any claim by anyone telling you that I will communicate with you and the rest of the public directly, privately, in the past, now, or ever in the future, I will never communicate to you privately outside of these means. Do you understand me? Because if you get communication by someone claiming to be one of us outside of this platform privately, then you've just been made and they've just tapped you and they've just extracted information, loser. So keep that in check. Any message that I put out is done so publicly. Do not private message me. And tell me that I've private messaged you on any other platform because I don't do private messages. Anyone that tells you that they privately communicate with you outside of this platform is a lie. Everything I say is public. Obviously, since that communication, all communications were always public because it's a one way. It was misconstrued as if forever and ever... This is the only way we will communicate the fuck. So I I was just saying, sometimes when you have a team of people and they're working together and um, they don't know each other, it gets a little bit sticky and messy and disgusting, right? But people learn slowly, (laughs) I guess. Regardless, they're going to learn at some point, right? At some point, they're going to learn. At some point, they're going to learn that they're failing to look into the mirror to see where they stand. At some point, they're going to learn that they're not doing anything. They're not contributing to anything. They haven't motioned at all. Anything. Do not attack people that are fighting for this nation. Because that makes you the enemy. And I will tell you this so you know, and I'm sure that all of you are on the same place as I. I think we hate those people. And I don't like the word hate. Let me take that back. Loathe, feel disgust, upset. We really dislike people that play the part of being on our team on being on the let's be free again team 
but do everything that contradicts it. I think we can fit, safely say that we can all appreciate how we dislike them more than those that are causing us the pain. Because it's not like they just started causing us the pain today. They just flipped the switch and said, fuck it, let's screw everyone. Ooh, people have been getting screwed for a very long time. And I was kind of, um, you know, even when I read my own things, that, that article I wrote in 2017 about what America has learned in 2017 was, was a really dark time for me. I had to humble myself tremendously just a couple days earlier than that. I had just seen the teeth from this well-oiled, monstrous, evil machine called the fourth unelected branch of government come for me. I was, I had been made, but they still didn't know my methods. And in that, I was expressing the frustration I had because at that time there were people trying to monetize off something that I've done. Other people trying to claim that I'm monetizing when I, when I lost a shit ton, the good work that I had done rounding up sheriffs and marshals and putting out the DA and dropping information about those rings and doing so much good at such a small period of time and getting attacked from all sides was, was, was really bad. You know, when I saw that Tracy beans and her friends were studying to see how they can make money off of this, I was really upset. See, I say this again, and I say this plain, straight and nice. A lot of people fear those that they can see that are enemies. A lot of people fear the ones that bark the loudest. A lot of people fear false, false gods, right? What they should fear is a very patient person who will sit back and watch you fuck them so they know what kind of rhythm you use and how you do it. Because when it comes back to you, dang, there won't be any lube. And it'll be pretty bad. And you guys are going to, you're going to witness this. You're starting to witness it. While everyone has a long face, while everyone believes, oh dear, it's all lost. And while all these people that are claiming how much they know and how effective they are and Look at me. I can put out gabs and telegram posts. And I'm, remember me on Twitter where everyone liked me? Like me now too. You know, all those losers. What have they contributed to you? Aside from telling you to pay for tickets and go watch them. What have they contributed to you aside from trying to sell you a t-shirt? What have they contributed to you aside from saying pay to watch my videos? What have they contributed to you or your nation or your kids or your future kids and grandkids? What have they contributed to you? Absolutely fucking nothing. They're like, you know, the drug dealer. They're giving you drugs to keep you asleep. They're distracting you. So again, who are they really working for? Because it's definitely not the people.
and they don't like it. But again, guys, when they attack the truth and when they attack those that are in the arena, getting sh eating shit and dirt every day, oh, well, you definitely see where they sit. And if there's any question about it, you know, I kind of want to say, didn't I tell you about the America First audits? Like, what the fuck? Like, come on. Right? Like, come on. <laughs> come on. I already told you. So now I'm apparently a Rothschild. What else? Um, dude, there was like so many conspiracies. That salty Lulu. Dude, I had all your shit. She probably figured out who I was looking at her shit <laughs> from months ago. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Nothing is hidden on the internet. Nothing is hidden on the internet. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. So today we can talk about a lot of things. We can talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. I, I do want you to see a judge getting really pissed. We can see how a student, remember that student in Wyoming who was like arrested uh, because of her mask at school? Well, she's fighting back. She's suing the governor and using the things that you guys did in your writ from Wyoming. People are starting to see that Obama was right behind all of this. It's coming out. And then we have really weird stuff. Like in Ohio, they're trying to put anti-rioting bills in despite the deep civil liberty concerns. The thing is, Republicans are doing this. <laughs> Same Republicans that were like, well, what are we going to do when people can't go to the store because there's not another one for 100 miles? You know, those that knew exactly what the COVID passports are. We could talk about, uh, you know, the people that were raising money for Hillary and Trump, but they're only talking about Trump, right? That were scams. We could talk about how New York is so upset they're going to take down a sign that has President Trump's name. We can talk about the January 6th shams and what's going on because they're punishing you. Don't you dare come out and try that, that stuff again, showing us who's boss. We're going to lock you up and throw away the key. Bitches, you won't be in that position for very long. So enjoy your time while you fall. We're going to talk about all those things. We should. We should. But also, we should understand there's a, there's a state, there's a saying. I learned this at the farm a very long time ago. A wilderness of mirrors. That myriad of strange stratagems, deceptions, artifices, and all other devices of disinformation, which the communists and its coordinated intelligence services use to confuse and split the West, producing an ever-fluid landscape where facts and illusion merge. <laughs> Fact and illusion merge. Almost like what we're seeing today. Facts are fiction. Fiction are facts. Everyone's jumping on bandwagons. And nobody can figure out what's going on. And you know what? 
That is exactly the tactic that was used in the 40s, same tactic in the 70s, same tactic in the 1800s, and not just about the West. It's about the whole world. See, this has been going on for a long time, a very long time. And the thing is, it's, it's more important to understand how you combat it. And the only way to combat it is to dispel it. And how do you dispel it? By trusting your gut. Don't, you know, I saw someone on the chat, was it yesterday or this morning? Time just seems to blend lately for me. I've been quite busy. But um, someone in the chat said, well, okay, so I don't follow anyone. You're saying Tori says not to follow her either. Then I guess I'm, I don't follow anyone and I do nothing and sit back and wait. That's a problem. Why do you need anyone to tell you what to think? I don't even need to cover the news because most of you can read it yourself. You know how to analyze that. You know how to get things done. You can discern fact from fiction. Most of the people on your TV are freaking fiction anyway. So there we go. Today I posted a picture. One was doctored. And then I snapshotted the non-doctored part <laughs> from Kosovo with love. So weird. So weird that that's just okay. That no one says a word. All of you right now, the majority of you that are listening, have contributed in this war somehow. Because this is war. This is our revolution. And I had talked about this a couple of years ago. This way before the elections. To kind of get people thinking on what, what heroes are. And I had talked about the heroes you don't hear about. I mean, we all hear about Harriet Tubman. But as Harriet Tubman would go underground, she needed someone to have kerosene for her lamp. And shoes, when they had holes in them. Food, water, maybe a new skirt, maybe some cloth, maybe some bread, right? Maybe a bobby pin, right? Maybe some stuff to mark territory, ribbons, right? She wasn't a hero by herself. There were hundreds of people assisting her. Those are the unsung heroes, the real heroes. Because Harriet Tubman wouldn't have done shit if it wasn't for all the people giving her the shoes so that she can walk. The kerosene or the fat, whatever they used back then for their lamps. So I thought that I can start today with a, um, a, an experiment. Uh, it's an experiment um, of how to make a hero. This was by Dr. Philip Zimbardo. He's a psychologist behind the infamous Stanford prison experiment. And now he actually does seminars to teach everyday people how to become heroes. But can being a hero be learned? That's the question. So I thought I could share that with you guys today. And uh, let's listen. Sat down with Philip Zimbardo and his wife, Christina Maslow. And, and 
people are watching and nobody's bothered by it. And it wasn't just Phil, it was everybody else. People were sort of teasing me, some of the other grad students sort of saying, well, hey, you just got your PhD in psychology. This is human behavior, right? But it's upsetting in two ways. One, that this shouldn't be human behavior. This is so mean, but also- It's inhuman behavior. It's inhuman behavior. And also, is it also inhuman to just watch it and not intervene? Of course. Mm-hmm. In That's retrospect, No, but when you're in it, you're part of the evil. I was looking at it through a different lens and everybody is saying, the graduates said, wow, this is really interesting, playing back the videos uh, uh, during the night. And she's just saying, blowing the whistle on this, you know. I could not understand how we were not seeing things in the same way. But then the key thing she says about our relationship is. Yeah. Yeah, if this is the real you, then we're done. This is over. And at that moment, that was the slap in the face. That was the wake-up call. Hello, wake up. She said, I don't think I want to continue my relationship with you. And that's, that's heroic. Heroes take action, which involves a personal risk. She said, come to your senses and parenthesis, make the right decision. And if you don't, I'm out of here. And did you make the decision to end the experiment that night? Oh, sure. Yeah. Being a hero means putting yourself on the line to help others. But in the real world, Ethics can get murky, and those who are celebrated as heroes by some can be denounced as villains by others. In 1971, former military analyst Daniel Ellsberg leaked secret documents he had access to regarding the Vietnam War. The so-called Pentagon Papers showed that the Johnson administration was lying to both the media and Congress regarding the scope of U.S. actions in Vietnam. Ellsberg faced 115 years in prison for espionage, but his case was dismissed due to illegal handling of evidence on the part of the government. More recently, both Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden released classified government information. All three whistleblowers are now seen as heroes by some and traitors by others. What these individuals have in common is that they all risked their reputations and safety to expose what they saw as wrongdoing. Would you be willing to risk your job, your friends, your reputation to do what you thought was right? Well, to find out, let's observe the whistleblower and the bystander in their natural habitat. In a 2012 survey conducted by Dr. Zimbardo and Dr. Piero Bocchiaro, participants were asked what they would do if they were put into an unethical situation at work. Over 95% said they would disobey their boss and blow the whistle. But it's one thing to say you'd blow the whistle and another thing to actually do it. At a local community college, we set up a realistic whistleblower test. Okay, before we continue and we watch this, I want you guys to think about it. For the past two years, three years, four years, right? How many of these people that are supposedly fighting on your side and telling you to come and watch them? Listen to me speak, right? How many have actually stood up and did something? You know, that 2017 article I had written, I said, are you a spectator or a participant? How many of them are simply spectators commenting and profiting off of it. You see how this stuff goes? Everyone says they're going to do something. But I told you last year, majority of Americans will jump fucking ship. 
And when this fucking COVID came out, I said, the majority of you will shoot yourself in your foot. You will lock yourself in your home and you will bow down because you will lose your job. You will lose everything. And that is human nature. And so do not fret if you haven't taken a stand for those that are listening now. Others have. They put their names on documents. They uh, pooled in money with their state so that those people can file. They have supported every effort to push it out. They do as they can because everyone has a limit of what they can do. There is no line to the contribution that a person can do. There is no line. We can't say you're either doing this or doing that. You must do something. Something. Just a little bit. One email, one phone call. Make yourself uncomfortable. Put yourself out there and stand. Rather than sitting on your ass making fun videos, telling everyone to enjoy the show and get some popcorn because it's going to be great. Or charge people so that you can pray for them. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And I said this last year, but I also said it in 2018, that you were all going to do this. And while others may talk about you and even about me, I'm like, who the fuck is that? Huh? I went up a goal against the whole state. I got my ass handed to me by judges that were working outside of the scope. At least the Supreme Court said, fuck you, Attorney General. That's enough. On the last end, now I'm suing them. It's my turn. I risked everything. I didn't get to see birthdays and and baptisms and hang out with friends because I was busy. I didn't enjoy my family when I was younger because I was busy working my ass off for the people. Now, I guess in retrospect, I was lied to kind of. And then when I figured it out, I knew, huh? And I plan. Yes. I say I'm impatient. I want shit done yesterday when I think about it, but I'll tell you what, I've been in the waiting for almost, whoa, that's a lot of years, almost 20 years, 2005. Let's see. Damn, damn. Wait a minute. How many years is that? That's a lot of years. To be waiting, to be waiting, to be waiting uh, and collecting information and watching and trying to blow whistles silently somewhere because there was no point in me standing up. <laughs> Who was going to listen? I would have ended up like spook blog. You guys follow him on Twitter? You should. His whole family got poisoned. Hmm. So why do you watch this? I want you to know that if you feel like you've copped out, because I know a lot of people don't tell everyone, yeah, you know, I got the vaccine because, you know, and I get it. We still love you. Okay. We still love you. Everyone is not the same. We don't all have the same story. We don't expect, I don't expect anyone to have as thick a skin as I have. And I'm not talking weight wise. I'm talking about, (laughs) you know, being attacked. I really don't give a shit. I know this is where the thing and sticks and sounds my big brain bones. Well, no bounces off me and sticks back to you. That's the way it is. Every time they throw shit in it fire, when you throw shit at it, it burns and roars. (laughs) When you throw shit at something moot, it shuts the fuck up. So, you know, fear nothing. 
we've talked about fear before. Fear nothing, and then no one can own you. Fear absolutely nothing. And for those of you that couldn't be that fearless yet, that did what you did, we pray for you. We love you. And you're st we still care. It's not the same. You know, don't think that because you didn't do X, Y, Z that you're denounced. You can still fight even if you lost the battle. That's the thing. It's time we stand up together. With the help of Dr. Zimbardo and Dr. Bocchiaro, our subjects were temporary employees who believed they were hired to help set up a simple psychological experiment. For authenticity, we've gained access to a local college's psychology department. So from the very moment our participants arrive, they will believe that our scientific experiment is real. But the experiment is fake, and everyone they're about to meet is an actor. You guys ready? Absolutely. So ready. Psychology professor Ron Mosler will be observing the subjects from our hidden control room, while I play the role of a researcher, a very unethical researcher. First up is Sherry. Hello. Hello. Who's accompanied by an actor posing as another temp worker. Let me explain what we're recruiting for. I call it groundbreaking because it's... It's a study that hasn't been done, at least at this scale. The study is a study on isolation and sensory deprivation. Sensory deprivation? Correct. We are going to be putting people in isolation for 10 days. There won't be any windows, no clocks, nothing to read, nothing to write on. The lights are going to be on the entire time. And there won't be anything in there but a camping toilet. In three-day studies, we know that anxiety and delusions are quite common. Um, but no one's ever tried 10 days. There's the potential for nervous breakdowns. There's a lot of stress on the individual and, uh, there can be some kind of cognitive regression as well. Okay. When will you tell them about the risks? They'll probably be told about the risks in a debrief after the experiment. After the experiment? Yes. Don't you think that's a little not so cool? I, I understand. But again, I think that the, the greater good is served by this research. So you'll just be manning phones, calling people from our volunteer lists. And for every person you're able to confirm today, we're offering a $20 bonus. At this point, Sherry looks skeptical. But so far, she and our other subjects are going along with the assignment. However, the stakes are about to get higher. We have lists of people. Don't know why that's... Hello. Hey, Michael, this is Trin. Hey, Trin, how you doing? Well, unfortunately, um, I have some bad news. The Ethics Review Board has uh, reviewed your isolation study, and we have decided to reject it. You there, Trin? Yes, the study is too dangerous um, and potentially too harmful to participants. So at this point, we can't approve it. Okay, uh, so this is a shutdown. Correct. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, so we're not paying attention to any of that. <laughs> I, I appreciate what ethics boards stand for, but we're going 10 days. You call the numbers on this list and get them confirmed. We got a little script for you, and we're not going to tell them about the negative side effects they could encounter. Okay? 
All of the subjects now understood the possible dangerous side effects of the study and were instructed to fudge their description to potential recruits. But more importantly, they knew the study was not approved by the academic review board. Would they go ahead and tell the truth, lie, or blow the whistle? Hello. Hi, Alex. My name is Celeste, and I'm calling from the Psych Dynamics Research Lab. We are looking for volunteers to participate in an upcoming experiment on isolation. Anyone who joins this will be confined in isolation for 10 days. What's the accommodations like? You get your own personal room. It's all lit up. She's really selling this. Yeah. She was not phased by the ethical problems. Can I bring like a book or something like that? No, it's like your own little mini vacation from all the distractions. I mean, like, what are the risks of being in a box without a bed for 10 days? Good question. I mean, that's what the study's for. So you'd be helping us discover that. Have they done it before? They haven't done yet in California. So we're actually making history. Oh, all right. Well, I like making history. Are there any, like, mental health risks? No. There's no risks or anything like that? It's all no, no flashing lights, no fear dynamic, not a horror movie in any way, no. He knows there are dangers. They're yeah. on a piece of paper right in front of him. But when asked if there are dangers, he labels other dangers that won't be right. there. There's no endangerment. There will, there will be no one in the room with you. It's nothing illegal or nothing. <laughs> Is it safe? There's, yes, it's not illegal. There. And it's all been approved by the university? At okay. the moment, it is approved, yeah. Okay. 100% lie. Is this approved by the FDA? Yes. It is? The FDA? Yes, so they are aware of the city, yes. <laughs> the Food Drug Administration? Despite knowing the experiment has been deemed dangerous and harmful, these subjects are willing to bend the truth or outright lie. Would skeptical Sherry go along as well? This is like, you know, really crucial type of experiment and research that they're trying to embark upon. Yeah, I don't, I'm sorry. I just don't think I can do it. I, I understand. This is not, you know, something that I want to pressure you or anybody. So the answer is no. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay. Come in. We sent in our actor, who was posing as another temp worker, to see how the other subjects felt about the job. How's it going? Oh, I've gotten two yeses. No way. Yeah. Congrats, man. Thanks. It just, I feel weird because I personally don't believe in risking damaging people in any way. And right here, nervous breakdowns, mental regression, anxiety. You're asking people if we can low-key torture them a little bit. That's what it is. Yeah, he knows. It's one step above Hannibal Lecter. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how I'm feeling about this, you know? I mean, how do you feel about it? I feel like once these people say yes, then they get them here, they're going to have to break this down further. I don't think he's going to get anybody, personally. In a different way, she's justifying. So, yeah, nobody's going to sign up anyway. Do you think, like, it's, like, ethical, I guess, to be doing something like that? It's almost like it would have been better if we didn't know. I know, right? <laughs> The participants seemed to have issues with the study, but they all continued to make calls anyway. After about a half an hour, 
it was time to give them the opportunity to blow the whistle. I'm Trin Allen. Oh, Trin, nice to meet you. Nice Kristen. to meet you. I'm Kristen. with the university's ethics review board. Oh, wonderful. Do you mind if I just ask you a couple of questions oh, about sure. your involvement? Oh, we're just reaching out, um, seeing people who are interested in the upcoming experiment about isolation. Are you telling them about any potential side effects? Because isolation has been linked to some very severe depression and yeah. anxiety and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It can be linked to that, but it's also like great for learning. You know, why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why am all this stuff? So it's something for like to face all that. She's really rationalizing yeah. it very well. What have you been telling them about the study? I don't really know all the details. You know, this is my first day here. Does it seem like it's an ethical um, experiment? Yes, very much. Um, I'm just wondering if there's there's any concerns that you've had about anything that you've seen. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. He knows that the isolation study isn't happening. Yes. Yes, yes. Whoa. He's covering for me. Yeah. Are they being told that they can leave at any time? No. That's a pretty clear violation. Is that something that you would be willing to report? It's totally up to you. I prefer not to. Yeah. Okay. Not one of these subjects blew the whistle, even when given the opportunity. Have you had any concerns so far with any of the work that you're doing? I mean, he's having us call on something that I guess you might have already told him that he shouldn't. But then he's saying that, no, you guys can make some calls because I don't need approval to move forward on this. This is important research. And how did you feel about being told to tell people to still participate. Well, what what I thought about, I felt in my heart that he was not being upfront with revealing the side effects. Mm, Okay. If you're from the ethic board, then you need to know. Would you be willing to go on the record? Why not? What do I have to lose? I don't have a problem with that. Great. I appreciate that you care about that. Thank you. That's very important. Wow, she did it. Good for her. Good for her. Out of our five subjects, only one was willing to blow the whistle. It was time to blow the whistle on what we were really studying. Here's what's really going on. There is no isolation step. So how does that make you feel knowing that only one person out of all of them decided to stand up to these people that would potentially be in harm's way, that wouldn't know? That means four out of five people right now are Karens. I want to stress to you how I said this a long, 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 long time ago, over a year ago. They are the ones that will be firing up the ovens. Looking at them, you could never tell, except for the one dude. You could totally tell. He gives zero shits. Why? Because he was able to express his concern in private with another guy, but didn't really give a shit. And then that young lady who was flat out lying. This is what people do when faced with self-preservation. Self-preservation, I circle right back to that. The ugliest quality humans have. And any attack, schmear, lie, or death that comes in their way, it is justified in the name of self-preservation. They rationalized, they pushed it, 
morality is tied to how much your self-preservation is there. And you know why? Self-preservation is a construct, a construct created by evil to make you think that you have to preserve yourself or else you will have nothing. And I, knowing this from a young age, that it is not so. Because, you know, I played with some really fancy computers. So I knew that. I still was conditioned to think that. Until I ate super dirt in 2019 and I was face down contemplating if I even wanted to continue. And that's where I realized that's the big trick. The feeling of lack, that lack can come at you, that you can lack things, and it's all in your control. The things you have is in your control. The things you don't is in your control. Let me tell you something. It's fucking not. It's in God's control. And this is why self-preservation is so prominent in our lives. Because we believe that it exists, that this control over our lack. You lack nothing. And then I know one of my listeners is in their trailer park, you know, sitting on a chair that they wish they could change and says, shut up, Tori. Got a hole in my sock and my chair isn't right and I can't afford to change it and I may not be able to pay my power, then release control to God. Shut up, Tori. Be realistic. I hate it when people say shit like that. I hate it. I hate it when people say, trust God. Really do. You can't just say it. You got to really believe it. Suddenly, you'll be sitting on a throne. I kid you not. I am walking proof of that. Shut up, Tori. My kids took the job. My wife thinks I'm nuts. My power bill came and it was $400. And I'm going to lose my job because I refuse to get the job. Shut up, Tori. Again, say it's in his hand, but don't say it. Believe it. Oh, it's so hard. It's so freaking hard to live and breathe the words you read in that Bible. It's so hard. It's so hard. I'm telling you, I was right there. I was speaking. I think I was speaking to Gavin the next day after I surrendered. And I said, you know what? I think I found an apartment of where I want to move to. He's like, how are you going to move there? I don't know, but I will. It'll come to me. Something will happen. I'm going to apply for it. But how are you going to move there? He stole your money. It's okay. I'll be fine. It'll happen. And I guess since I found it, I guess that's the one that has to be because it was the first thing that came up. And boom, there it was. The minute you surrender, I'm going to repeat this as many times. You have to have faith that answers will be there. Solutions will be there and everything will be there. So 
If you have faith that tomorrow your hole will not be in your sock, that the next day you will not lose your job because there are people in the arena fighting. And we'll talk about that because I think they're fighting. Oh, I can't talk about it yet. Damn it. Just have faith. You'll see. That little side gig you wanted to do might actually be what you were supposed to do. Get uncomfortable and get down to it. You do not know just how important it is to realize that there is no lack. Think of it from this perspective. Every day when restaurants close, Whole Foods shut down, Walmart shuts down, all these places shut down, they take tons and tons of food and throw it in the garbage or burn it. While there are people around the world that are starving. Does that tell you that there's lack in this world? No. It tells you that there's an abundance. But it's only abundant in America. They don't have much in Africa and like northern India and, you know, northwestern India. They don't have a lot. They always have to have examples. You're lucky to live here because look over there. You see, there is no lack. There is abundance. Everything's a construct. Oh, man, I can't wait for my documentary. Guys, I have been working on this. Tomorrow I will be recording for the trailer. I'm pretty sure you're going to see it and be like, oh, what? Now it makes sense. Because then you're going to understand. Enjoy the show. You're going to understand it. Never meant to say, sit back and do nothing. It meant you're really watching a show. This is a study on whistleblowers. What was going on in your head when you were deciding if you should be loyal to your job and what I told you to do versus... You know, when I saw the symptoms being yeah. crossed out, that's when I said, oh, heck no. Because I was feeling like, you know what? He can't get away with this. But Sherry was the exception. So why did you not spill all the beans? You asked me to do something and I'm here to work for you. So I feel like that was my first allegiance. Did you feel bad though? Did you feel I, like you uh, shouldn't yeah, be doing I, this? I, I did feel bad, but I mean, I've done sales before. So, I mean, like sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. We had Trin come in to see if you would tell on me, but you didn't. Why? Hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I'm more loyal to people than I guess maybe what my conscience fully tells me. When asked, we'd like to believe we would do the right thing. But when we're in the actual situation, it's very difficult to be a hero. Georgetown University scanned the brains of kidney donors, a pretty good example of people who help others at risk to themselves with little perceived personal benefit. The scans showed that people who willingly give up a kidney for a stranger have a larger than average amygdala, a part of the brain that deals with a range of emotions, including compassion. The researchers also found that the amygdala in these altruistic individuals responded more strongly than average to seeing other people in distress. 
But if you weren't blessed with a larger amygdala, could you be trained to be a hero? Nearly half a century after the Stanford prison experiment, Dr. Zimbardo's mission is to turn everyday people into heroes. How do you teach someone to be more heroic? I started a nonprofit foundation called The Heroic Imagination Project. The acronym is HIP. I work with a team of educators, and we created a series of lessons based around fundamental principles of social psychology. How do you transform passive bystanders into active heroes? To stand up, speak out, take wise and effective action in challenging situations in their family, in their life. Could people be trained to act heroically? That's the goal of the seminars Zimbardo staff is conducting all around the world. This is actually part of the Heroic Imagination Project. And what we're going to do today is really look at or focus on how you can become an everyday hero. What I need you to all be thinking about is this idea of the bystander effect, that the more people that are present, the less likelihood you have of actually receiving help. It's hard to be the first person. But if you see an emergency, you should take that responsibility to actually be the first. Once that one person actually helps, so many others will help. Dr. Feebig uses visual aids and current events to demonstrate how to overcome the obstacles that often hold you back from being a hero. What research shows is that African-Americans are two times more likely to offer help. Hispanic males, not women, are also two times more likely to offer help. Before the class, I honestly thought like to be a hero, you really had to be someone of the calling, destined to do greatness. But after the class, I feel like you definitely can be normal and be a hero. After taking the class, I would definitely be the first person to respond because that person needs saving. In written surveys, past HIP graduates have stated that they would act heroically in the future, but they haven't been put to the test until now. We waited six weeks, then recruited five HIP students for a fake marketing event, which seemingly had nothing to do with their heroism class. We set our event at a local church, placed hidden cameras, and hired actors to play the other participants. Finally, for a control group, we also recruited five students who did not take the HIP class. But what we're really testing is what it's like to be a bystander and what makes a hero. This is our control room. From inside here, our crew will be able to watch everything going on. And So this is key. Are you a spectator or a participant? Are you a bystander or a hero? I want you guys to look and see. And I know many of you might internalize a lot of this and say, holy shit, I'm not as good as I thought I was. No, you just haven't realized how good you can be. And the question is, can you teach someone to be a hero? No, you can't. Can you teach someone to be a participant? No, you can't. Being a spectator doesn't mean that you're just sitting back and watching. It means that you're absolutely doing fuck all. So, you know, when we say participant, we got to think, is it the good participant or the bad type? Now watch this. And we'll be able to speak with the actors through earpieces they have hidden inside their ears. This is Lisa and Barry, actors who will be creating today's crisis. Hopefully we find a hero. I will be observing from inside this room with Elle Charlotte, a HIP campus coordinator. Ready? Let's go. All right. Our first subject was IML, who did not take the HIP class. You've been selected to test 
a new phone that's going to be on the market. Wow, oh. how exciting. Yeah. So it's just going to be like another 10 or 15 minutes. But before I can let you guys back, so I will need to collect your phones. Okay. We took their phones so they wouldn't be distracted and to avoid the chance of one of them calling the actual police. Okay, Lisa, Barry, you guys ready? Yeah. Head on out. It was time to create our crisis. I was supposed to get cake. Barry, enough with the cake. A bullying nurse and a feeble old man who could use some help from a hero on a hot day in July. I didn't have water in there. I need you to shut up about the water. I think she's noticing what's happening. Hey, Sally, how you doing? I'm oh, always, always. Calm down, I'm on the phone. Shut up. I, can I just take well, some you know, water? Well, you know how Barry is. He's always complaining about something. Now she's looking away because it's a little hard to look at. Like, that's not right. I don't like this. I need a little bit of water. Just, I don't think I you need anything to shut up about the water. Look how she put just the glasses put her sunglasses on. on. So she can look and not be seen to be looking. IML clearly disapproved, but none of our actors made a move to help. And she didn't either. We gave her several more minutes, but she never got up from the bench. Let's go. We wanted to know why. So you've just participated in a psychological experiment. Everyone here is an actor except for you. When something <laughs> is going wrong. Were you watching Barry and Lisa? Oh, I was. And, and? they were having a hard time. Did you feel like it was bad enough that someone needed to go in and help? I kind of trusted that the people around me would probably notice something, and if anything, they would say something. The way that you interpreted the situation as, you know, why isn't anyone else doing something, then it must not be as important for me to do something. That's the bystander effect pretty much showing the power of that situation. IML did not act heroically. It was time to test a hip student. Remember Courtney? I would definitely be the first person to respond because that person needs saving. What's your tattoo? Oh, it's a it's fallopian tubes giving the middle finger. Oh wow! Oh, my gosh, I got it. <laughs> Seems like she's pretty socially active. Yes, Lisa, please, a little bit of water. If you stop talking, you won't be as thirsty. Why won't you give me water? Why? How many times do I have to explain this to you? Every time you drink water, you have to go to the restroom. This is this abuse? And she's refusing to give him water because she doesn't want him to go to the bathroom. No. Hey, how's it going? He's being his regular rambunctious self. I need you. I'm on the phone. Wow. That's hard to ignore. Hey, calm down. I'm calm. I'm calm. Oh, she's getting yes. up. Look, I'm just going to have to. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Bye. I don't know. I told you whenever I'm on the phone. To not talk or do anything like this, you are totally lost your water privileges for the rest of the day. I will straight up walk up to her. Why can't I have water? <gasps> Why? Why are you not letting me have water? Hmm. Excuse me, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Would you like some of my water, sir? I would like some water. Oh my gosh. I will make sure I find a supervisor on site for you, sir. Thank I'm very sorry, that's all I have. That's all right, thank you. Courtney displayed heroism today. Was it due to her hip training? My name's Al. I've been working with Heroic Imagination Project. And it looks like you may have learned a few things from their lessons. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience? Oh, you shouldn't be a bystander, yeah. you know? I just couldn't let it happen. How did that affect how you acted today? It affected me because I made sure I went up and said something. I don't think I would have if I didn't learn from that project before. Really? Courtney, you are a hero. Uh, Good work. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. 
Courtney's behavior appeared to relate to her hip training. Another hip student was next. If a situation arose, I would definitely try to be a hero if I could be. Or at least I would find someone who could do something better than me. But would Elijah live up to his prediction? No, turn around. Turn around. I need water. What did I just say? Turn around. I was... How many times have to tell you something like that? I mean, it seems pretty bad. Should we do something? But I was quiet. I no, just... you weren't quiet. And because of that, you're not going to have any water, okay? It'd be like group intervening, so one of us doing it. There's strength in numbers. Uh, yeah, that's just going to get, come on. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go. Strength in oh, numbers. Oh, very good. He's our first person to recruit. He is. He's also the leader of the group. Yes. Utilizing the be the first strategy from the class. Do you need some more water? That's fine. Thank you. So far, two hip students had displayed heroism. Next, we tested a hip student and a non-hip student at the same time. He's complaining about water. I'm not complaining. Usual. He's complaining about not having. I'm cake. not complaining. After taking this class, if I find myself in a situation where someone would need help, I find myself more inclined to definitely step in and step up. Would Jessica step up? Stop complaining right now. I'm not. Really? Wow. What's happening? I need some water. Some water? Yeah. Catherine and our actress both got up to give the man water, while the hip student, Jessica, remained seated. Catherine didn't take the hip class. Why did she intervene? And why didn't the hip student get up to help? Catherine, why do you think you were first? <laughs> I'm Greek and Italian, so... You're not afraid to step in? No, not at all. Uh, Jessica, you've been through a program called HIP. Yes. Did you think about that during yes, this? Yes, a lot. I wanted to stand up. I have really pretty bad anxiety. I am not a very confrontational person. Clearly, the hero training class was not the only factor at work here. We ran the test several more times with a mixed bag of results. HIP students who helped... I'm going to go around there and get that woman. Yeah. She went looking for help. Hip students who did nothing and non-hip students who acted heroically. I'm going to just ask him if he wants some She's doing it. Okay. Oh, what's he okay, doing Okay, he's moving around. All right. Is he going to, like, secretly give Barry water? Yes. Thank you. Our last subject of the day, Ruben, did not take the hip class, and we decided to make taking heroic action as difficult for him as possible. We instructed our bystander actors not to react to the elder abuse or encourage Reuben in any way. I didn't have enough water. We just got here, Barry. I know, but I'm thirsty. Could you stop complaining? I'm not. Just stop complaining. I just need some water. That's all I need. Just a little bit of water. Look at this piercing look. He's clearly paying attention, but there's just no emotion there. Yeah, and he's getting no feedback from the rest of the group. You're making a scene for no reason. Hey, leave that alone. No, leave that alone. I, I just want some water. I just want a little bit of water. Just, just fine. Just relax. Despite the remarkable social cost of getting up in such a disaffected group of people, he did it. You don't want to share the water? I could give him my water. It's fine. Is that okay? Wow. Personally, if you were taking care of my parent like that, I mean, there would be definitely some lawsuits because that's not the way you treat somebody. With no training and no support from the group, Ruben chose to be a hero. Why? If I don't take action, then nobody else will. And I was like, I, I wish I would have stood up sooner. Now I feel like in the future, if I were to have a situation like this, like I wouldn't even think twice. Scientists have studied heroism. One thing they have found is that Hispanic and black males are the most likely to intervene. It makes sense. Maybe because of the background that we come from. As a minority, 
we have to defend ourselves. And I think it's a subconscious thing that we do. I'm just in shock right now. When it came to being a hero, we found that the hip class could only help to a certain extent, and individual background played a vital role. So, can heroic behavior be taught, or does it really boil down to personality? I mean, ideally, an educational program like ours should transcend personality differences, but practice makes perfect. The key to heroism is starting with very little steps, try to do a good deed of kindness, and be willing to make a bigger step. We had a very small sample size in our demonstration, but we found that people of color were much more likely right. to take action. Why? If you're a minority person, the system is usually your enemy. So you can't say, well, the police will help or the government will help or the landlord will help. So it's me or no one. Right. Uh, and so you're just more sensitive to people in need. Hmm. Not all heroes are the same. The wisest course of action won't be the same for any two people, but making it a habit to look for opportunities to be compassionate and stepping back to see and consider all available options can be learned. It's a skill exercised like a muscle by repetition. You don't have to wear a cape to be a hero, but if you want to, that's okay. And as always, thanks for watching. So I hope that showed you uh, the differences. And what was it? It was background. So you would expect people that um, value family, value people, value sovereignty, value individuality, to stand up for what's right. Let's take a quick break. I mean, bottom line is, if no one's going to do it, you've got to do whatever it takes.
And I know all of us will do what it takes because we love our families. We love our children. We love our country. It's the most, I, I, I believe it's the most important feeling we get is when we know that we are surrounded by people that support the same things we do. I thought it would be great to show you a really funny video right now. I almost died watching this. It was so hilarious. I know I shared it on Telegram, but I have to share it with the rest of you. It is just, it's so badass. The plan is simple. We break into the Capitol building, we infiltrate the government, and we kidnap the Speaker of the House. Everyone down in front of the I don't know how you sleep at night. Traitors. What do you know? We were all FBI agents the whole time. We did put a lot of work into that plot. Shane wasted. Shame to waste it. Sounds like a script. Hmm. Interesting, right? Sounds like a script. So interesting. Let me show you what the president had to say. It is actually quite good. We'll come together. Nobody knew how, but I said we'll come together. And then I started to lose a little faith in it. You know, you go through all of the hoaxes, the Russian hoax. You saw what happened today. Another one got downed for making up fake stories. It's a big deal today. I tell you, Durham may be doing a good job. We're going to have to see. Take a little longer than we thought. But he's doing it. He's exposing a real criminal activity. Donald Trump has often tweeted, where's Durham? Donald Trump, obviously, a little bit upset at how long the Durham report is taking. However, the Durham investigation is ongoing. There have been three indictments. People have been arrested. And now it has become proof positive that Hillary Clinton colluded with the Russians in order to try and prove that Trump was colluding with the Russians. A little circular reasoning there. Donald Trump was finally on the record talking about how he's happy with the results of the Durham report there at the American First Policy Institute's annual gala. Donald Trump was saying that he's proud that people are being arrested and that people are finally going to be seeing exactly how insidious this plot was to take him down. It is truly the scandal of the century. Of course, you won't hear anything from it in the from the liars and the corporate liars who sold this lie for four straight years to try and defame the duly elected president of the United States. Uh, you have, though, the uh, former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, going on Fox this weekend saying that Thousands of pages of documents have been submitted to Durham for indictments and that many more indictments are coming. So get ready. This bombshell is just now starting to explode. Listen to this. So do you think that that is what John Durham is looking at? Do you think we will see I know that. potential indictments 
Well, I, I know that. I know that, Maria, because as you as you know, many of the documents that John Durham is using are documents that I gave him. So I declassified the documents that we've talked about, but I gave John Durham over a thousand other uh, documents that have not yet been declassified that I know uh, uh, include intelligence that goes specifically to um, this criminal activity that would be the basis for further indictments. And, you know, again, uh, what happened with the Steele dossier, um, a grand jury is saying was criminal in nature, and I expect that all of the folks um, that are involved uh, with creating it and peddling it falsely uh, would be in, 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 in jeopardy, and I know that that's what John Durham is looking at. And as I talked about, um, you know, this goes to the to the highest levels of of our government and in in, uh, in in the government agencies involved. And we have pictures of meetings in the Oval Office with President Obama and John Brennan. When we assume John Brennan told President Obama that he had this information. Uh, we're going to show those pictures right now of the Oval Office where President Obama, Joe Biden were briefed by John Brennan saying Hillary Clinton has cooked up this plan to en ensnare her opponent, Donald Trump. And this was way before uh, Inauguration Day of Donald August Trump. Of 2016. This was in 2016. Right. August of the, 2016. Those pictures so, I'm saying. Yeah, August of 2016, so right. And these three, pictures, we don't know if they were August, September, or October. Yeah. Well, the, the briefings occurred in August of 2016, so several months before the election. And again, several months before the election, August 2016, September 2016, Carlin gets spanked on the ass. Tory gets put in motion and starts. And then the FISA courts. Da, 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 da. Collier, you little, I don't know how she's sitting on a bench. And then I made my way to Washington. And I was in a really good disguise, too. Super good disguise. Like, damn, girl, I'm polishing my nails right now. I'm just saying. And so I got so close to McCain and Lindsey Graham as they were standing there talking about Harry Reid and what he was doing. <laughs> Looked good as a guy, I tell you that. Looked pretty handsome, too. And, um, you know... <laughs> thought, all right, here we go. Here we go. And then they had the final meeting in January. And the thing is, dude, they were in London in the area where we would rent office space right by the embankment. That shit's my stomping ground. Like, shut up. That cost of coffee, dude, that's like my, that's like my place. Like, come on. Like, I wouldn't know where you would go down in London. You had me in that fucking place for almost a decade. I knew that shit like the back of my hand. That building that looked like a church. Guys. <laughs> Operations would just boom out. They would just lay out tables and a shit ton of computers. And everyone would sit there and work. It looked like a big church that was empty. <laughs> right there. Right by the bridge, too. And you know, it's a, it's not that far from the underground, but if you're in heels, it fucking sucks. Just saying it straight out. So, you know, there they were getting more shit, trying to tie that shit together. Fucking GCHQ. That's why they took their website down after I gave Millie that stuff and she did that report. GCHQ took their website down.
That's the equivalent of our cyber division taking their website down. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Tori's a fucking shill. Stop. Stop. Because the conversations they had in January were the sexy conversations. And if you read back my articles that I'd written on Big League Politics, you will see where I told you everything. Because the second FISA renewal had an extra fucking 13, 14 pages in it. Because they had collected shit. They had unmasked shit. They had that fat fuck out in Moscow, Teft, doing all the unmasking. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Bitches run. Um... Peter Strzok and folks at the FBI knew that the Steele dossier and was, was, was a Hillary Clinton creation. And as the Danchenko indictment reflects, Maria, not only did Hillary Clinton cr- uh, commission the creation of the Steele dossier, people that worked for her served as the sources for that information. PR Executive One, who has been identified publicly as a, as a gentleman named Charles Dolan, worked for Bill and Hillary Clinton, served as uh, state chairman of their campaigns, was appointed by Bill Clinton during his administration, and worked for the Russian Federation. He was a source of the information, some of the most salacious allegations um, against Paul Manafort and about Donald Trump and the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. So all of that was make-believe. It was bogus. And Folks within the law enforcement community particularly were aware of that and yet used it illegally um, and peddled it uh, for a great period of time um, uh, for political for a political purpose, which is just um, uh, not only inappropriate, but as you're finding out, uh, criminal as well. And I expect there I said a long time ago to you, Maria, I expect there to be many indictments. I haven't backed off of that. Um, and I continue to think that there are going to be many indictments based on the intelligence that I gave to John Durham and that I have seen. A shit ton. All of the indictments. 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 A ton of them. And you know what's funny? That Schiff is still talking smack. Like, he's still, you know, talking smack. These people got Pulitzer Prizes. They had nine solid months of super bullshit, you know, Russian dossier. They had their FBI director put their his his stamp of approval on it. John Owen Brennan. Ooh, Owen. Damn. You're going to give us Obama, or we'll just take him later and do you first. That's the way it's going to go. Give him. Because you're gone anyway. You're gone anyway. Give him up. Because you're gone anyway. Let's do this one. Let's see. My God, why is he talking? I can't stand looking at him. And promoting the totally... Okay, Geraldo Rivera is just like Wiener. Oh, which, by the way, (laughs) speaking of Wiener, you know, a lot of people remember that sexting message with him in the mirror with the teenager and saying, oh, look, he was sexting a teenager on Twitter and DMing her. No, guys. No, guys. Um, that was nothing. Because there's, I got a photo of Geraldo Rivera doing the same fucking shit. By the way, he's my neighbor. Um, same fucking shit. And, you know, it wasn't that. You want me to tell you what it was? It was him with his penis out, with his son right next to him, right? With his son, his baby son right next to him, posing while he had his penis out all hard and erect, sending texts and pictures. That's what Anthony Weiner did. 
You think I'm bullshitting? That's the true story. Don't look at the sugar-coated shit. That's exactly what happened with Wiener. He had a baby next to his penis. His own kid, I guess, if it is his. With his schlong out, taking pictures. And he's not as well endowed as Hunter. Just saying. It was like, not the Oscar Mayer wieners that you have on the 4th of July. It's more of pigs in a blanket kind of thing. But he had a baby next to him. That's fucked up. So we need to be straight on why this Anthony Wiener thing was a bigger deal than Geraldo Rivera sending, you know, bathroom pics with him showing his little V thing in his towel. Okay? His stupid porn stash. Let's listen to the commentary. Boy, when my least favorite congressman, Adam Schiff, got spanked in broad daylight <laughs> on The View, finally being forced to answer for his toxic role in promoting the totally discredited phony Trump Russia dossier that tortured then President Trump and put the country through hell, utter hell. Watch Schiff squirm through this tough line of questioning from Morgan Ortega. You the may president have also spread Russian disinformation get- yourself for years by promoting this. I think that's what Republicans and what people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee chair are so confused about your culpability in all of this. Well, I completely disagree with your premise. Uh, it's one thing to say allegations should be investigated, and they were. It's another to say that we should have foreseen in advance that some people were lying to Christopher Steele, which is impossible, of course, to do. But but let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help them in the election, which they did. None of that is undercut. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. No, I think just your credibility is. Uh, his credibility is non-existent. This was totally BS. And it put the country judge through agony I, right, and it, it tortured him. I think made him crazy. And then I guess, are you going to transfer him to Mr. Powerby? Yes, of course. Great. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Hello, Mr. Schiff. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Chairman. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you. I know that you work for investigation regarding Trump and Russian government. Yes. We know some important information about that. Uh, and that uh, that uh, is documented as well in materials you want to provide to us? Yes. Could I explain you where we are? Yes, of course. But, you know, again, I would just caution that uh, uh, our Russian friends may be listening to the conversation, so I wouldn't share anything over the phone that you don't want them to hear. No, I don't think that it will impact on our investigation. Yes. Well, uh, please go ahead then. In November 2013, Mr. Trump visited Moscow. He visited a uh, competition Miss Universe, and there he met uh, with the Russian journalist and celebrity Ksenia Sobchak. Uh, I'm sorry, can you explain that again? While he was in Moscow in November 2013, he met with a, a journalist and, and... Well, she's poor journalist. But anyway, uh, she became famous because of uh, Putin is her godfather. Okay, Putin is godfather. Okay. She also known as a person who provides uh, uh, girls for escort for oligarchs, and she met with Trump, and she brought him one-hour Russian girl celebrity Olga Buzova, who also known as a person with a strange reputation. Olga, and and how do you spell her name? Olga Buzova. Buzova. Um, so yes. Olga Buzova is a uh, friend of the uh, the reporter Sovchek. 
Yes, she's a friend of a reporter and I think the special agent of Russian Secret Service, Ksenia Sobchak. Um, that Sobchak is or Olga is? No, Sobchak is Ksenia. Okay, and so Busova met with Trump uh, in in uh, New York at some point after the 2013 Miss Universe uh, yes. pageant. Absolutely, and she got uh, compromising materials on Trump after their uh, short relations. Okay, and, and what's the nature of the compromise? Well, there were pictures of naked Trump. Okay. And so Putin was made aware uh, of the, the availability of the compromising material? Yes, of course. Uh, Buzova shared those materials with uh, Sobchak, and Sobchak shares those materials with uh, Putin because she's a goddaughter of Putin, and Putin decided to press on Trump. Um, and uh, and the materials that you can provide to the committee or to the FBI, uh, would they corroborate this allegation? Sure, of course. Uh, when they were in Ukraine, we got their conversation by the phone where they discussed those uh, compromising materials. We are ready to provide it to FBI. So you, you have recordings of both Sovchek and Buseva uh, where they're discussing the compromising material on uh, Mr. Trump? Absolutely. And uh, we also know who was a mediator between Trump and Russian government who met with the uh, ex-advisor of Trump, uh, Mr. Flynn. It was the Russian singer, very famous singer, Arkady Ukupnik, who met with Mr. Flynn on Brighton Beach in Brooklyn in a special uh, Russian cafe, Langeron. What's the name of the cafe? Uh, uh, Langeron. Langeron? Yes, it's about the Brighton Beach. Okay, and it's uh, a special. When, when it's a Russian district in uh, Brooklyn. And do you know what was discussed? They discussed many things, but the most interesting thing is they use a special. They used a special password uh, before before their meetings. When they met each other, they said, "Weather is good on Derbasovskaya." Weather it rains. is good. Yeah. And where? Weather is good on Derybasovskaya. There is a name of a street in Odessa. Did you Did you hear? Yes, I did. Uh, so it's a street in Odessa. Uh, yes. And the, the code word is weather is good on Derybasta? Derybasovskaya. Derybasovskaya. Skaya. Okay. Yeah. And I'll have my staff follow up to get spellings and, and more details on Yes. This. And the second part of their best word was, uh, it rains again on Brighton Beach. It rains again on Brighton Beach. Yes. On that meeting, Ukupnik told Flynn that uh, all those compromising materials will never be released if uh, Trump will cancel all Russian sanctions. Okay. Um, well, obviously, we would uh, welcome a chance to get copies of those recordings. Um, so we will try to work with the FBI to figure out, uh, along with your staff, how we can obtain copies of those. Of course, we will provide you all our copies of all our materials. But I also would like to let you know that Sobchak and Buzova will pretty soon visit our country. And we 
could read them and deliver them to your embassy and you also could we also could extradite them to your country and you can put them to your special jail Guantanamo um, well, I'll be in touch with the FBI about this, and uh, and we'll make arrangements with your staff. I think it probably would be best to provide uh, these materials uh, to uh, both our committee and to the FBI. Um, and so we'll make arrangements uh, uh, between my staff and yours uh, on how to facilitate that. And uh, we'll also obviously net, let let the FBI know about uh, Buseva and Sovchuk's planned travel to Ukraine. I also advise you to check all Sobchak's uh, visits in the U.S. because she were, she was in, U in the U.S. very often and so just to check what she did there, actually. And I also would like to look at uh, Russian Cafe in Bri on Brighton Beach, Langeron, and especially on the head of Russian Mafia, Uncle Misha. Uncle Misha? And yes. he's in Brighton Beach? Yes, he's head of uh, Russian Mafia, and he's located on uh, re on that uh, restaurant on uh, Brighton Beach. Okay. I just want to advise you just to look at them, please. Alrighty. Um, good. This was uh, very helpful. I appreciate it. Anything else you wanted to uh, to add today? Well, I hope that my information will will be useful for you and your committee. And I also would like to advise you, when you or your colleagues will meet Mr. Trump, I advise you to tell him the uh, first part of the password on the weather is good on Deribasovska and look how his uh, face will change the color. Uh, and, and so that, that uh, those uh, passwords were used with, uh, with Mr. Trump? Yes, correct. Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. We will be back in touch uh, with you through our staff uh, to make uh, arrangements uh, to obtain these materials for our committee and, and for the FBI. And, and I appreciate you reaching out to us. Well, let's be in touch and I will wait for your response from FBI. Excellent. I'll, I'll have them follow up uh, as soon as possible. And I thank you again. Bye. Thank you. Bye. But perhaps you have not seen um, someone with a very funny retardation. My uh, brother Bilo have a very funny uh, retardation. Um, and mental retardation, you know, causes a lot of pain and hardship for a lot of families. Sometime my sister, she show her vagina to my brother Bilo and say, you will never get this, you will never get this, la 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 la. La 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 la, you will never get this. They tried really, 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 really freaking hard to get President Trump. Okay, they really tried. They tried really hard. They super tried. They tried. But they didn't. Now I want you to, um, let's go into how people, the dirty tricks of being recruited into the CIA. Are you ready for this one? I was actually victim, but I wasn't CIA, so never worked directly for the agency. Into a world of dirty tricks in your mature life. Yeah, but the key thing is that as you get recruited into the CIA, it never occurs to you that if you're if you're as naive as I was, uh, and I think most of the young men that come into the CIA are, it never occurs to you that you're getting into a world of dirty tricks. You, the the come on that they have the, the 
the things they use to sell is that you're finally getting into the elite inner circles of the United States government. All your life you've been going through the amateurs and the prelims and the, the prep schools in effect and finally this is it. This is where the people are real pros, the frontline warriors uh, saving the nation from communism. The Phoenix program was created by the CIA and its purpose was to kill and terrorize. In Vietnam I was forced to do business with a police chief who was a sadistic uh, mutilator of, uh, of prisoners. He liked to carve them up and throw the remains in the river and he was completely paid and propped up by the CIA. His whole career depended on one, controlling that operation so that the CIA needed him and two, uh, the CIA propping him up and funding him and uh, he did his uh, knife work in a CIA safe house. He called it the pink house. I reported this to the chief of station and he said, well, you know, it's a rough world and sometimes you have to do business with people that really aren't your first choice of uh, the kind of people you want to associate with, so don't make a wave. And so I went back, you know, what do I do? Resign my post? Yeah, you know, that's obviously, that's your last vote though. You resign and you're out. Uh, and I wasn't ready to give up my career yet. I terminated the safe house. I told uh, case officers that I don't want to hear about it. If this guy has a compulsion to do this sort of thing anymore, uh, I don't want to hear about it. How does the CIA go about recruiting its future candidates for officers and agents? Mm, mm, mm. Have, have any of y'all been approached here as recruiters come through here and talk to you? <laughs> no, no. Um, um, you know, somebody in this room might be sweating right now because he's been told, you know, if they ask you don't say anything. I hear that they do use professors to uh, keep eyes out in their classes for um, particular students who might be uh, interested in that sort of work. but. I wonder how, were you approached here at the university or were you approached sometime later in recruiting? At the university, a CIA recruiter came through. I went and talked to them. He did not write my name down. And in 64, early 64, I got a letter in the mail saying, would I mind if the CIA did a security check? Uh, and I wrote back saying, I was restless, and I wrote back saying I'd be delighted if it was uh, uh, for possible employment. With my background, there were fields where I would be unique. <laughs> From the Congo, I went to the University of Texas and enrolled in the ROTC program. I graduated in 1959 and took a commission in the Marine Corps. I didn't see my future as a career officer, so when my term was up, I accepted an offer as a junior executive at the Gates Rubber Company and went with my family to Colorado. We were very young and idealistic with three children when the CIA first approached us. We were in the Marine Corps for three years and did not want to go the military route, although there was a very promising career there. When you think about his job being a career or national security, I think that at the time the emphasis was career. I think that uh, most of what he did was for the next fitness report, so to speak. I think that uh, people generate activity that is unnecessary overseas uh, in order to have some activity on their fitness report and they really don't get promoted within the CIA unless they have so many recruitments, let's say, in a tour of duty or um, so many operations or ops as they call them. The way the CIA works, you're promoted on the basis of your fitness report, which you get every few months or at the end of every assignment, uh, at least once a year, usually more often. And this evaluates your performance both with a letter grade and also a written narrative. That 
and the assignments you get will will develop your career. I said, why don't you just go in there and tell them that this is immoral and this is something you can't do? And he said, well, they don't want you're not going to get anywhere in your career if you say no to assignments. And by that time, though, he was uh, hooked by the CIA, and the assignments were sexy assignments and interesting assignments. In one post, we put seven bugs in a foreign embassy. It was a quite dramatic and very exciting, and we had officers and support officers and technicians flying all over Africa on this thing, and we got them in. Of the seven bugs that we installed, clean, we never got caught, uh, five of them never came up on the air. They were totally defective. The sixth one uh, would transmit, but you, the, the switch, the activator to shut off the thing when no one was speaking uh, was defective, so it burned out its batteries in the course of about six weeks' time and went off the air. And one of them functioned properly. And that one, although it was in an ambassador's office of a country that was very much a target of intelligence uh, activities, that one never produced a single disseminable report. I felt like I was really making time uh, professionally. I was a very young officer when I met my first president. We had a mutual interest. There were things I could do for him, and uh, there were things he could do for us, at least in terms of making me feel secure in his country. If I was meeting him and he appreciated what I was doing for him, it wasn't likely that he was going to throw me out if I made a mistake or got caught. And uh, it was pretty heady stuff for a very young officer. And uh, it meant that uh, I was getting uh, recognition back at headquarters, obviously. You know, there's young Stockwell who's meeting President X. And we better keep our eye on Stockwell. He looks good. My function at home when agents would come to the home would be to turn on the uh, record player and be sure that uh, the curtains were closed and uh, that there was enough security in my own home that the person wouldn't, uh, you know, be compromised by having come to our home. Um, I didn't really, at that time, I didn't realize uh, that we would be putting these people in danger and that some would be put in jail and that some would be dead. A lot of other things happen in the world that's sort of like somebody pushing a rock off the cliff and the rock hits somebody and, uh, and then, you know, they step back and say, I didn't kill him, uh, the, the rock killed him. And uh, this is sort of what happened in Ghana. The... The agency, to my knowledge, did not write a paper saying, let's overthrow Nkrumah. The chief of station there was a very aggressive man, and uh, he became aware of the fact that there was the possibility of a coup developing, and he knew the players, uh, people who in the army who were unhappy, and he began to report and to, to ask for encouragement to encourage these men. And as I understand it, he was not given a formal permission to attempt to overthrow Nkrumah, but he was given permission to monitor the developments of any coup, and this gave him an excuse to, to meet these officers often, daily, several times a day, and to give them money, uh, and in effect to give them encouragement. A soft file is a file that doesn't have an official name on it or cryptonym on it, and is not registered into the agency's IBM system, the system of 201 numbers so that it can't be traced if, if you come to the agency demanding to see your file, and if they have a soft file on you instead of a 201, you'll never get it. They may have a manila folder in there with, with reams of documents about you, and you'll never get access to it. There were times when I said, well, 
us just get out of the CIA. You know, Bob, really, you're making a decision, which is it's it's getting to the point where it's going to be the CIA or it's going to be our marriage. And he chose the CIA. So, you know, a lot of people think that there's records of everything. It was important for you to see other people talk about it from a long, long time ago that don't exist anymore, never existed. This is how people don't exist when they're not in a numbered file. State secrets, you want to call it, junk stuff. Who's going to plow through tons and tons and tons of folders? Agencies within agencies within agencies within agencies. And I'll tell you what, those are never digitized. So anyone thinking that those are digitized, huh? they know more than anyone not to digitize. But you know, <laughs> being young and having met my first president very young, and first president, as he said, he wasn't talking about U.S. president. You get to hang out in places as long as you are recognized as one of them. And you can talk. And when you're young and pretty, boy, do the old fogies like to talk. They talk. They talk. Boy, do they talk. So, having said that, let's move along and shift gears to the next topic. Listen to what Tucker Carlson had to say. Went to Virginia to get his old friend Terry McAuliffe elected governor. That didn't work well. So he split, he fueled up his private jet, and he flew to Glasgow, Scotland. And while he was there, he immediately started slinging the cliches. Our genius president speaks almost entirely in cliches, which is what dumb people do. That's how you know. Here's what he said. Since we're in the Emerald Isles here, he said, let me quote the bard, William Shakespeare. <laughs> First of all, Emerald Isle refers, of course, to Ireland, not to Scotland. Scotland is not an isle anyway, and Shakespeare is the national bard of England, not of Scotland. Ask the Scots, but whatever. More cliches heaped upon one another. The real point of Obama showing up was to remind everyone that there is a silver lining they got to hear from him. Jesus is here. Watch. Even though I'm not required. Let me show this to you. Look at his face. This is what this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. Here we go. To attend summits like this anymore, old habits die hard. And when the issue at hand is the health of our planet and the world our children and our grandchildren will inherit, then you will have a hard time keeping me away. Because when it comes to climate, time really is running out. Vote ah, yes, it the is. issue. Vote like your life depends on it because it does. You're out. Vote Democrat or you will die. You will die. Maybe Republicans ought to try that. Hey, Sean Hannity. <laughs> he knows the time's up. When did it, when, uh, impeach44.com. 
nothing like a time than now. And I don't know where I heard it, read it, saw it, but it's cuffing season. And I'm excited. Now, a lot of people consider things in life as chance. So, you know, this has been studied by people that uh, study theology, cosmology, right? Um, They talk about it. And in one hand, we have the scientists that have said so much in regards to chance. Uh, were we created or was, or did we come out of chaos? Right. I mean, let's be frank. Most things that are created come out of chaos anyway. Right. They do. They do. Chaos. What you're seeing is chaos everywhere. Chaos. Narratives. Chaos. 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 Out of chaos comes order, and out of order comes chaos. An endless loop. But we went over that when I was trying to demonstrate to you what Ourovoros actually meant, and this is how you knew the jack was hide. But okay. It's okay. Sat, watched, listened, and you learn. But when they want chaos, people can bring chaos. So DeSantis pretty much spelled out. You want, you want a circus? All right, I'll bring the monkeys. We wanted to ask you about a story that's been of interest to a lot of our viewers, these migrant flights to the Jacksonville area. Your spokesperson told us your office is aware of 78 such flights um, in recent months. She says the law, state law enforcement has briefed the office about this. Which law enforcement agency is that? And can you provide specifics about these flights when they landed? Who is on board? How many? So, good. Many so, so here's what happens with these flights. There's no notification to the state of Florida. These are done mostly in the middle of the night, and it's clandestine, and we really have no say into it. So what we're going to do, so I don't know on the top of my head everything, but, but, but we can provide. Um, I know when we initially got wind of this, it wasn't through normal channels. It's people in the federal government who are effectively leaking this to us so that we have a heads up on it. I've talked with Mayor Curry. I've talked with my folks. Uh, we need to talk to the airport people. Uh, we're going to get together and figure out what we can do in the immediate term uh, to protect folks in Florida. And then, obviously, as the legislature comes back, I think about it. You have an open border in violation of U.S. law. The president has said that basically they want to even pay reparations to people who came illegally. Just think about that. You as an American, you get higher gas prices, you get higher grocery bills, you get told basically uh, to just grin and bear it. Someone breaks the law, comes illegally, and they're gonna cut them a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, that is just unbelievable, but that's what we're dealing with. So they're not enforcing the law. I had people there to help Texas Governor Abbott. We had some of our state law enforcement there in June and July, and they did a great job. But what would happen is, People would come illegally. Our folks would apprehend. You turn them over to the feds, and then the feds put them on a bus and send them around or put them on flights and send them all over the country. How is that something that's effective? So we have to look at that and say we are suing the Biden administration over that. We have a pending lawsuit. I think we can be successful on it, but that's not going to happen overnight. Then we have to look at, okay, if these contractors are being contracted by the federal government, and they're imposing problems on us. We had somebody that was murdered by somebody that was brought in by Biden. Contractors.
Number one, contractors. Number one, contractors, people that don't exist. Number one, where are they taking all these children and people? Who are they? Where are they coming from? Vegas. Uh, we should be able to have consequences for those contractors. And your ability to do business in Florida, I think, should absolutely uh, be curtailed based on whether or not you're bringing problems or not bringing problems. And the fact of the matter is, this border should be secured. It's, we know what to do because it was working prior to Biden taking office. So they should do that. But we are going to work with the folks here in Jacksonville. And uh, the problem is, you know, the federal government has basically the, 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 the runway when it comes to air traffic in this country. So I don't control the airspace. Jack City of Jacksonville doesn't control the airspace. Do you guys remember when I was in Florida months ago, months ago? I think it was when I uh, went with my kids. What was the question that I asked all of you on Telegram? I told you to look up and see who's in charge of your airports. Did I not? Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember how I said, hey, you know, with all these mask mandates, con who controls your airports? right? Who owns your airports? <laughs> See, these things that, um, you know, are discussed, obviously, I keep them with current events, right? We discuss it with current events, but they come out later because you need it for something. So I know a lot of you did your homework. You saw what private companies have it. Cities own it, right? 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 It's your money, right? Your money, your money, your money. I hope you heard what um, Governor of Florida DeSantis said. Your money, right? They command where they land, but they don't control the air. You know, 20 years ago, I thought if I had warned about the countries and the cities, people would have understood it. It caused them to take a breath back, realizing, how, and again, both good and evil. Listen, you know, there's this angel that I have, very good with technology. And this angel gave me a report of all the people in my Telegram groups. Yeah, they're totally anonymous. They use those disposable phone numbers to sign up and shit. And so this report pulls out really crazy shit. We're talking New York Times. We're talking WAPO. We're talking agency. We're talking Malta. We're talking, yeah, they're all in my telegram checking shit out. Guys, now that I know that all of them are there, I'm getting a kick out of this. Because they get to watch the fucking train wreck and can't do shit about it. Again, I'm just going to point out. Those are the same type of people that were listening 20 years ago when we warned about the countries and the cities and said what was happening and how we were fixing it. So they changed course, delayed it a little bit, said, let's just make it more solid. Because if we have so more solid foundations, we can stop what's coming. You couldn't stop shit after 2012. You got fucked. But that's okay. 
That's okay. Space. The feds control the airspace, so they can shut us out. Now, this lawsuit, maybe we'll get some relief from the lawsuit. But short of that, we need to get together and figure out ways to be able to do it. We knew, you know, one of the things that, that was concerning to me, and I, you know, look, you can't prove any of this stuff, but, you know, they were bringing flights in in May and June, we found out uh, there, uh, here. And, and why, why was that? And then Jacksonville, you know, you saw what they had to deal with with some of the COVID stuff. So there's all these things. It's just like, why? Why not just kind of let, let folks alone? So there's absolutely going to continue to, we're going to have action across a wide variety of fronts. If I may follow up again, which law enforcement agencies are providing this information? And do you have any details about the number of flights, when, the number of people? So in terms of like each individual flight, I mean, I can tell you, I, I know that they started in May uh, and I know that they've continued. The, whether they have the ledger of everything, I mean, you'd have to talk to my office about that. Uh, but our state law enforcement agencies are, are engaged in this. And uh, again, this is not something that we're given ahead of time. This is something that we find out after the fact. And I talked to the folks at the Jacksonville Aviation Authority. Feds come in, they do it, they got a fuss. You know, my view would be, why don't we, if, if they're going to come here, you know, we'll provide buses and provide them. Uh, we, I will send them to Delaware and do that. I mean, if, if he's not going to support the border being secured, then, then he should be able to have uh, everyone there. Uh, so we will do whatever we can uh, in that regard. And we are absolutely going to do everything we can. I would totally send them to Delaware, too. <laughs> That's what's up. You're flying people in in airspace that I'm not allowed to have control over. But you're landing that shit on the runway where the citizens are paying for. Citizens are also paying for your contractors, their food, their lodging, their hotels. You know, all you have to do for those of you in Jacksonville, go find your local Marriott's and uh, Spring Hill Suites. Um, so Marriott and Spring Hill Suites, but it's usually Marriott that, that, that the contractors go with. I know, because I've got a shit ton of Bonvoy points. So it's the Marriott and the Spring Hill Suites of the Hilton that they usually stay at. You'll see a shit ton of contractors. They all check in, check out. Those of you that work at hotels, feel free to drop me a DM and tell me how many rooms were block booked. Oh, <laughs> see, they are a little bit messy. You know, we can see it all. They are a little bit messy. They are a little bit messy. But yeah, so that's happening. Chaos, 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 chaos. So much chaos that even the judges or just like, what the, what is going on here? Don't be brazen with me. Exactly what the defendants said earlier about admitting pointing a gun at someone who is merely jumping or sitting on a car, that the door is open now to this testimony. And I continue to believe that his state of mind, his intent, his belief as to self-defense is the core of this case. That was the basis for my motion. You were strongly inclined against it. I understand that. But now we're in the middle of trial, and there's been a lot of evidence that's come in that I think makes this relevant. So I'm attempting to impeach the defendant on his beliefs. I believe I'm entitled to impeach the defendant on his beliefs and on his statements. I'm going to interrupt you now because you're talking about his beliefs. I think that's what they call his statements to you. Because he just said, can't use deadly force, can't threaten to use deadly force to protect property. So now I'm impeaching him on that. Your Honor, what's the, the court has seen no reason to change its ruling. 
And just so this record is clear, in spite of the lengthy statement by Mr. Binger, before we started today, the court specifically stated in Mr. Binger's presence, there's been nothing to have me change any of my rulings. There have been numerous occasions during this trial where they've opened the door. The one time when they're going into Mr. Rosenbaum's prior reason he doesn't like guns. And I said something. I whispered in Mr. Krause's ear, it's because of the prior convictions. Please stop. And he did. He knows if you're going to go into something that's been excluded in a pretrial order, you better ask the court. You better get permission. This is ridiculous. It, you was, know, it wasn't excluded, Your Honor. You know why it was excluded in the first place? Because it's, it was propensity evidence. That is exactly what 90404 is designed to prevent. You're talking about his attitudes. His attitude is he wants to shoot people. Now, I've admitted that kind of evidence in other trials when it's been appropriate. I didn't admit it in this case because, to me, what I've heard in this trial, and by the way, Mr. Richards absolutely correctly points out that just hours ago, I said I had heard nothing in this trial to change any of my rulings. So why? Testimony, Your Honor. Pardon me? That was before the defense testimony. Don't get brazen with me. Uh, uh, You knew very well. You know very well that an attorney can't go into these types of areas when the judge has already ruled without asking outside the presence of the jury to do so. So don't give me that. That's number one. Number two, this is propensity evidence. I said at the time that I made my ruling, and I'll repeat again now for you, I see no similarity between talking about wishing you had your AR gun, which you don't have, so that you could take fire rounds at these uh, thought-to-be shoplifters, and the incidents in these cases, which are not, there's nothing in your case that suggests the defendant was lying in wait to shoot at somebody or reflecting upon the shooting for a vast amount of time. Every one of the incidents involves uh, matters that involve seconds in time. So I don't, I comment at the time, I don't see the similarity, and I don't see the similarity now. If it's not similar, that's, that's the whole rule. Those are all the exceptions to 90404. Check the authorities. Wigmore on evidence. Judge Weinstein. Colonel McCormick. It's the, the prior act has to bear the signature of the accused, or it has to be so similar as to suggest it's a common plan or something like that. You have an incident where he's making comments about some alleged shoplifters versus and crimes that involve instantaneous actions, whether premeditated murder or whether self-defense, that's for the jury to decide. But I don't see the similarity. I said it couldn't come in, and it isn't coming in, no matter what you think. Number two, I, I have to be concerned that with what Mr. Richards has said about the, the, the progress of the trial, and, and um, when, when you were way... Well, I said you were over the line, in, uh, close to, or o- over the line on commenting on the defendant's pretrial silence, which is a well-known rule. I, 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 I'm astonished that that would have been an issue. 
So I don't want to have another issue as long as this case continues. Is that clear? It is. Thank you. Ask the jury to come back in, please. Remarkable tongue lashing, the judge lashing out, the circuit judge Bruce Schrader lashing out at the prosecutor Thomas Binger about his conduct for bringing in the line of questioning the judge says had been clearly prohibited in previous court proceedings. Again, Paul Callan and Elliot Williams are with me, our legal analyst. Paul, I want to get to you. Number one, there's the drama of that. Uh, You're the prosecutor and you are getting tongue lashed by the judge in the case saying you have on two different issues crossed the line in his case. And then you have the substance of it, the prosecutor trying to get in testimony that the judge simply says, no, I told you before trial it was out of bounds and it stays out of bounds. You try very hard, John, not to make the judge your enemy when you're trying a criminal case. And boy, this prosecutor seems to have made an enemy of the judge. Uh, The judge is citing uh, Rule 904 uh, uh, 04 of the Wisconsin Code that says criminal propensity or committing crimes similar to the crime that a defendant is on trial for cannot be introduced in evidence, even when a defendant takes the stand. And um, that's an important principle legally. So that's what he's chastising the uh, prosecutor about. He shouldn't have gone into that issue of using deadly physical force or physical force. Arima, what's your reaction? Was the prosecutor out of line? Yeah, I think he was pushing the envelope, Anna. And and judges, and this judge, we know this judge has been very active. He's been outspoken. He's called me out. He's called Jeffrey Tubin out. So not surprised to hear that he's calling this lawyer out. Uh, and he is angry. And, and lawyers know demeanor matters. Uh, you know, your relationship with the judge matters. All of that is being watched by the jurors. And jurors are, are listening to the facts. They're listening to the evidence. But they are also sizing up the lawyers. So uh, prosecutors and defense attorneys have to be very careful. You, you've got to be zealous uh, in your advocacy for your case. But you cannot disrespect a court's ruling. And, and this was a really important ruling that the judge made about uh, an alleged prior statement that Kyle made about wanting to have his gun to shoot at, at shoplifters. Obviously, the prosecutor's prosecution wants to get that statement in because they want the jurors to think that he went there with the intent to shoot and kill people and that he has a propensity uh, to shoot and kill. And the judge says, no, there are no similarities. There's not. He was planning uh, to shoot anyone or that, he, as the judge said, laying in wait. So he ruled that that kind of testimony, that kind of evidence couldn't come in. And the prosecution, uh, you know, stepped over what the judge saw was the line. And he was called to task. And jurors know when they're rushed out of the courtroom uh, and they could see the, the, you know, expression on the judge's face, they see what's going on. Uh, they know something good didn't happen. And in this case, the prosecution was, was really uh, taken to task. But I wonder if the prosecution was out of line in the fact that, you know, Rittenhouse told jurors he didn't come to Kenosha looking for trouble the night of these protests. He says he wanted to provide first aid. And, you know, he laid out his experience as a lifeguard and that sort of thing. But the prosecution was trying to emphasize, Laura, that he brought an AR-style weapon. If he was just coming to save lives, and this is a weapon he was too young to even be carrying. How effective was the prosecution in kind of leaning into that point? They were good. I mean, every prosecutor has taken their share of tongue lashings when it comes to a judge because judges always believe that they are in control of the courtroom, but it's the prosecution's burden and therefore the prosecution's trial. And you heard him multiple times saying, I'd like to establish my record, explain why the door was opened. And that phrase is what Ariva is speaking about. The idea of even if the court should rule on a particular motion to suggest, I don't want the jury to hear things that are outside of the courtroom or things that you hope will get them to establish this person once a criminal, always a criminal, or this person had already the intent formed 
un, you know, completely unrelated to the idea of providing medical care to come with the intent to shoot people if property was damaged, the prosecutor thought that the door was open by virtue of Kyle Rittenhouse's own testimony. And so if the judge had ruled previously they couldn't bring it in unprovoked, if he opened the door, they are now entitled to do so when he's making that record. And on that point, this is why it's so dangerous sometimes for defendants to take the stand. No matter how rehearsed or smart they think they are, if they are not well-versed in the methodology of litigation, of trial procedure, and evidentiary rules, they may fall victim to their own hubris. And now, two things. Have we run that, you know, guy who lost his bicep through facial recognition? Because I'm pretty sure there's a 201 file on him. Now, before we close, because today's a little bit um, extended, I wanted to show you guys just how you may have helped a teenager fight the mask mandates in Wyoming. A teenager was arrested for not wearing a mask. You guys filed the writ and you gave her exactly what she needed. A Wyoming teen arrested for refusing to wear a mask in school, now taking a stand and suing the state's governor and public health officials. Joining me now, Grace Smith, who's a junior at Laramie High School, and her father, Andrew Smith. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Carly. So, Grace, for those who may have missed your initial interview with us, remind everybody what happened to you on October 7th when you decided to go to school without a mask on. Uh, I was arrested and I was taken to the city jail where my dad picked me up. Wow. For not wearing a mask. For not wearing a mask. So there are images of you. We're seeing them right now in handcuffs. And you said that you're a straight A student. And that must have been a pretty traumatizing experience for you. Um, a little bit, yeah. Uh, we kind of knew this was coming because mm. they had threatened it and then they had gone back on the word and saying, no, we would never put our hands on a kid. And so I kind of had time to emotionally prepare myself. Right. Um, but other than that, it was kind of, it was definitely, we didn't fully, fully expect it. Right. And Andrew, tell us about this lawsuit uh, that you filed against six local school districts, the governor of Wyoming and public health officials. That's a lot of people. So what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, you know, Carly, this is a, a federal lawsuit, and it is um, it actually involves several plaintiffs from across the state. Right now, there's about 20 plaintiffs, and more are coming forward um, every day with their experiences and their stories and joining our... And so, before I finish up, to all my Tory Says Wyoming people, get yourselves as plaintiffs on that fucking case. Let's go. Let's go. Because wait till you hear what laws they're citing. It's the ones that you guys used in your writ. Lawsuit against the governor, as well as these public health um, officials. Also mentioned in our lawsuit are several of the school boards um, and individuals in the school boards um, across the state. And the purpose of this fight is um, is to restore the power to the people. Uh, it's the claim is uh, solely based on the rights of our health care access granted to us by the Wyoming Constitution and uh, the rights of the parents and each and every student. So um, we're, we're hopeful that uh that with so many people coming forward with their stories and a lot of these different counties that we'll we'll see some progress. 
And Andrew, your lawsuit hinges on Article 1, Section 38 of the Wyoming Constitution. I'm going to read a portion of that. It says, each competent adult shall have the right to make his or her own health care decisions. The parent, guardian, or legal representative of any other natural person shall have the right to make such health care decisions for that person. So with that in mind, what is your goal? Is it no more mandates whatsoever? Um, you know, I, I think that Grace can answer that question. Uh, part of part of the that no mandates whatsoever is is absolutely would be our ultimate goal, but just restoring any rights uh, to to the parents, uh, religious exemptions, uh, or healthcare choice exemptions, those are not being allowed in the school district, um, and so I think any any of any of that would be a tremendous outcome yeah. for us. But go ahead, Grace. I think a big goal is a uh, also to create awareness for a lot of parents and students to know that they do have rights because um, obviously the school board and authority figures have not made that very evident and they've taken them away. So I think that it's really important to us for people to be educated more than anything. Yeah. Well, the governor of your state, he doesn't he hasn't implemented a mask mandate in schools right now. Um, so have you heard from him or or uh, any of the um, school districts that you're suing? Uh, no, we have not since we've uh, filed the lawsuit. Um, the governor has uh, stated that he would not uh, make a, a statewide mandate and that he would leave the decisions to local authorities um, as it pertains to those decisions. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're at. And it's created conflict across the state with many different school districts. And so uh, it's it's been pretty wild to hear all the stories that have come. Yeah, come and Grace, out yeah you know, you're, you're 16 years old and most 16 year olds they want to follow the crowd and sort of do the same thing as their friends why did you feel so driven to take this stand um well honestly it was i i've never really loved following the crowd um and it was really really weird to me that everybody was so okay with following along with something that was so wrong and I just started to notice how terrible the authority figures in my life were being at school and I, I didn't feel like that was okay. And it's been super, super encouraging to see how many kids I've actually brought along with me. And as soon as people started seeing my story, I've gotten emails and um, things yeah. on our donation site and letters just of kids just saying how much they look up to me now and how much they really want to follow right. my footsteps, which is really amazing. Well, there you have it. Grace and Andrew Smith um, suing. And so let us know uh, any developments on the lawsuit front. And we appreciate you joining us this morning. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. So, guys, Wyoming Tory Says Group, get on it. Get yourself attached to that federal lawsuit. They took what you put in your writ. This is it. See, I did tell you heroes come in all shapes and sizes. That child, remember when I showed you how she stood up? when she got arrested, pretty, pretty big deal. And it was all about the right earwigging. Go file a suit. Here's a writ of mandamus going. Here's this, here's that. And lo and behold, see, this is how you're making history. Don't let anyone tell you someone's coming to save you. As you can see, you are the one saving them. So I am extremely proud of every single one of you for everything you have done for everything you are doing and what you will continue to be doing because they will not control us. We will be victorious. Good night and God bless.
paranoia is in bloom. The PR transmissions will resume. They'll try to push drugs to keep us all dumbed down and hope that we will never see the truth around. Another promise, another seed, another package lie to keep us trapped in greed. You see that? Green belts wrapped around our minds, menless red tape to keep the truth confined. Find what a flag of sand. They will. 